Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... Don't exchange your life for the things that this world tells you that you have to have. Don't exchange your life just for a bigger house or a, or a better car or what everybody says that you have to have to be happy. Yes, work hard and enjoy what the Lord gives you. And so King Solomon, the man who has everything, he knows that we never arrive and he knows that our strong desires will never be satisfied unless our desires in the right place. Life is meant to be lived for more than material possessions. When we exchange our lives for things, as King Solomon explains, we cannot find happiness. As Pastor Jim teaches in today's message, unless our desires are in the right place, our soul can never be satisfied. God designed us and this world to reveal our need for a relationship with Him. In His great wisdom and love, God knows what He's doing and He will not change. We have been designed to find contentment in Him. Now let's open our Bibles and join Pastor Jim for part two of his message entitled, When Will My Soul Be Satisfied? I mean, have you really thought about that? Have you thought that through, that you can't take it with you when you go? And if you think it through, what do you think about that? Is it scary? Is it exciting? Young people, you're like, it doesn't matter, I'm going to live forever. You're not. (laughs) I was your age yesterday. Right? I was talking to a bunch of teenagers yesterday, and they're like, you don't seem as old as you are. I was like, I never grew up. Right? But, but, but it, it goes so quick. It's just a, life is just a breath. Verse 3 gives us a, this really sad example. He says, if a man begets a hundred children. Now, for most of us, that would be an exaggeration, but not for a guy with 700 wives like King Solomon had. He probably had way more than 100 children. If a guy begets 100 children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many. Now, we have to step out of being Americans for a second and go back into Middle Eastern Bible times. Uh, for us, money and success, big part of you know, that you've made it in the United States of America. For them, uh, long years, a long life, and lots of children. That was what the cultural pressure was. If you, really, if you really want to be a success in their culture, you have to have a lot of children. You have to live a long time. So here's the guy who's totally achieved it all. He says this, if, again, verse 3, if a man begets 100 children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, notice this, but his soul is not satisfied with goodness. He's not satisfied with those things Right, that God has given to him that his culture says he has to have, or indeed he has no burial. Ecclesiastes has been talking about we die, people cry a couple of days, and then it's just back to the races, right? I say, and let's be sensitive to those in our audience who've lost children. He's not trying to be insensitive to that. I say that a stillborn child is better than he. Very common in that culture. A man with that many wives, the Bible does not endorse him having that many wives. The Bible just notes the history that this man had this many wives and it caused him a lot of problems. In fact, the Bible tells us that's what pulled him away from the Lord. 
And so losing children at birth, losing the mother at birth, very, very common. Verse 4, for it comes, this child, in vanity and departs in darkness, and its name is covered with darkness. Verse 5, though it has not seen the sun or known anything, this, this baby, has more rest than that man. He's saying that the baby who was stillborn was actually better off than this man who had everything but never learned to enjoy it. Verse 6, even if he lives a thousand years twice or two thousand years, but has not seen goodness, do not all go to one place. So here the Bible writer is telling us that if we can't have a deep satisfaction of soul, if we can't attain the deep satisfaction of soul that God gives, we'd actually be better off had we never lived. Now again, this is a theme in Ecclesiastes, this sort of depressing, you live, you die, and you're soon forgotten way of thinking. And he says, even if you get it all in the brief time you're here, there's a certain meaninglessness to that. There's just something wrong with that. Even a guy who has what the world says you have to have back then, lots of kids in a long life, without acknowledging that it's from God, without the satisfaction of a relationship with God, he lacks the capacity to really enjoy what God has given to him. And how sad for heaven to say, because when the Bible speaks, God speaks, how sad for heaven to say, that's a waste of a life. That this guy lived all those years, had all those kids, and of course passed on that value system, right? And lived so long and never came to the joy of the Lord. Which the Bible would say really is ultimately the purpose of our lives. To come into a joyful, satisfying relationship with God. Now, here's what's interesting to me. Let's fast forward 900, 950 years if it's Solomon, four or 500 years if it's somebody writing about him to Jesus Christ. Same value system. You got to live a long time to be a success and you got to have a lot of kids to be a success. Here comes Jesus along, this content guy. He says, John 10, 30, I and my father are one. I'm in total peace. I'm in total contentment with God. And he didn't have any kids. And he only lived to be 33. He didn't have what the culture said that you need to have to be satisfied and content. And yet he was the most satisfied and the most content man that ever lived because he found his satisfaction in God, in his heavenly father. Again, the Bible writer is not being disrespectful to those who have lost children. And if you have... Just remember, I know I'm not trying to make it better, but your heavenly father knows what it's like to lose a child because he watched his one and only precious son be crucified on a cross, unjustly dying in an unjust world. What he's saying here is if this is it, if we just live this aggravating life here on earth, then a child who doesn't make it didn't miss anything. Didn't miss anything. And here the Bible writer saying, well, at least that child found rest. 
at least they're spiritually alive, while this man was dead without the Lord. The Bible teaches that we are actually spiritually dead without the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 says to all those who will find life, turn to God, put their trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says this, the Apostle Paul says, but God who is rich in mercy, Ephesians 2, 4, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, even when we were dead in sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have the forgiveness of sins in eternal life. Yesterday, we were out talking to people and uh, most people, if you ask them about their eternal destiny, they'll tell you that they're, they're going to heaven because they're a good person. But notice what the apostle says. That's not why someone goes to heaven. He says people go to heaven because of mercy, because of love, because of God's grace. Being a good person implies that you earn it. But grace, mercy, and love, you don't earn, you receive it. Verse 7 says, all the labor of a man is for his mouth. In other words, we're, we're working so hard just to live. Uh, sometimes for people it's to accumulate more stuff. And yet, we work. And yet, the soul is not satisfied. We always want more, don't we? We are programmed to want more. I would tell you we're created to want more, but not more stuff, not more success. We are created to want more of the Lord. But what do we do? We work and we work and we work, and the bills keep coming, right? (laughs) And the more we get, the more bills we have. And how often we're working for stuff and we want to quit our job, right? And we just want to find another job because our souls are not satisfied. And the ripple effect among our coworkers is pretty bad, isn't it? Everybody wants to, you know, watch the politicians are like, oh, we just need more jobs. And half the people I know are like, I just want another job. I don't need more jobs, right? Everybody wants to quit. Even if we enjoy our work, we know that something is missing. We're still powerless to satisfy our souls. Well, from a soul that is not satisfied, we go to number two, a desire that is not satisfied, a desire that is not satisfied. Look at verse eight. Uh, For what more has the wise man than the fool? Now, that's very interesting. Uh, Here he's telling us that nothing, he's just, we're supposed to say nothing, that the soul of the wise man is no more satisfied than the fool. Now, don't go out and say, well, Pastor Jim said you might as well be a fool. That's not what we're saying here. Okay, when in doubt, be wise. <laughs> so, but you can be wise, but even the wisest of men, the wisest of women still lacks for satisfaction in their soul. Why? Because that's the way we were created. He continues, what does the poor man have who knows how to walk before the living? So he's saying, what does the poor man have who kind of knows how to live right? Uh, Without more stuff, it seems like things are better for him. He's not craving everything, yet his soul still has desires as well. He says, verse 9, better in the sight of the eyes. What's better in the sight of the eyes? He's talking about being content with what we have. Better to be content with what we have than, look at this, than the wandering of desire. 
Interesting phraseology in what desire is. It wanders. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Now, whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you're foolish or you're wise, he's telling us that our desires wander. They're out of control. They're not They're not stable. They're not purposeful. They're not on a path. They're sort of just wandering aimlessly. I'm not talking about wanting something that's good and working towards it. That's not what I'm talking about at all. Just this crazy desire of stuff that we want, and our desires can often be so strong, they usually exceed our satisfaction level. You know what that's like when you you want something, you get it, right? And then shortly after that, you're dissatisfied with it. That's just the human condition. I was sort of having fun with this and testing it out yesterday, and we were loading up after the outreach we were at, and a couple in the church here has the same vehicle that I have. And so we were loading up their trunk, and I said, very, very spiritual car you drive. (laughs) They know I have the same vehicle. And they said, oh, we love it. We love it. And I said, yeah, Yours is a year newer than mine. (laughs) To which they replied, yeah, but you have leather. (laughs) You see, we always just want more, right? There's There's always something better. The human response to desire, though, can often be to want something in an unhealthy way where we're willing to trade our own existence for it. Often the human response to desire is to give in to temptation, to reach for what we think will satisfy us, but we realize that uh, there's, there's always a catch with it, right? Temptation is an interesting thing, isn't it? It always comes with buyer's remorse. <laughs> you just think, oh, I got to have this, I got to have this, and as you're driving out of the parking lot, oh, what did I just buy? And then you come back to return it. All sales are final. (laughs) For a committed follower of Jesus Christ, it's so important to ask ourselves at the point of temptation, what is it that I really want now? Now you might say, I just wanted a new car. And there's nothing wrong with buying a new car if you can afford a new car. But why are you getting it? So your friends think you're successful? So your neighbors think you got more cha-ching than you really have? (laughs) What, what is it that, if it, listen, if it's getting you from one place to the other, that's fine. God bless you. You worked hard for it, God bless you. But is your desire trying to establish something different with what you're, is you're getting? So we should ask ourselves, what do I want now? And follow it up with the question with, what does God say I really need? Do I really need this to be satisfied? Boy, I think if we ask those questions, that'd save us a lot of heartache, wouldn't it? It'd save us a lot of money. It'd save us a lot of guilt if we ran to the Lord instead of running to our desires that are not in touch with God's value system. Again, I'm not talking about working hard and saving for something. I'm talking about when our desires begin to rule our lives. Many of you know the story of Genesis 19. God is judging Sodom and Gomorrah. All kinds of people have reasons why they think God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. But God tells us in Ezekiel 16 what the problem was. He says they were very prideful people. He said they had an ease of life. They were lazy. And they didn't help the poor. They were stingy people. 
And God says, that's why I I judge them. They were all about themselves. So some angels show up in town and they find Lot, who's, uh, you know, what kind of a Christian Lot is, right? He's sitting in the back row with Elvis. And and the angels say to Lot, listen, you got to get everybody out of here. You got to get your family out of here. But when we're leaving, God's going to judge this place. Don't look back. Don't look back. Just look forward. Go. And... If you know the story, what happened is Lot's wife turned around and gazed, looked longingly, and it says that she became a pillar of salt. In Luke's gospel, chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus was calling people to follow him, and people were saying, I'm busy. You know, I'll get it together someday, Jesus. And, you know, uh, and, and, you know one guy's like, oh, I've got to go take care of some family stuff. Luke 9, 62, but Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The inappropriate desire for things, even good things, but the desire is inappropriate because it then surpasses the desire for God himself. Later on in Luke's gospel, Jesus would be talking in chapter 17 about, about the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord. In Luke 17, 32, he tells everybody, remember Lot's wife. Remember someone who put their hand to the plow and looked back. Remember someone whose desires were so strong that she actually wanted her desires more than life, that she was willing to die for what that city provided for her. Here in Ecclesiastes 6, verse 9, he says, be content with what you have. We all know that when we desire what we don't have, it can make us miserable, right? It can become our God. It can be the focus of how we live. It can be the focus of of how we pray, of how we work. Friends, don't exchange your life for the things that this world tells you that you have to have. Don't exchange your life just for a bigger house or or a better car or what everybody says that you have to have to be happy. Yes, work hard and enjoy what the Lord gives you. And so King Solomon, the man who has everything, he knows that we never arrive and he knows that our strong desires will never be satisfied unless our desires are in the right place. Well, that's number three. Number one, from a soul that is not satisfied to number two, a desire that is not satisfied to number three, a God that can satisfy. Now, here's where it's very helpful to be a New Testament Christian, to have the benefit of what the readers of this would not have and knowing what we know about the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, whatever one is, or uh, some versions say whatever exists or whatever has come to be, whatever one is, he has been named already, for it is known that he is man, and he cannot contend with him who is mightier than he. What is he saying there? Listen, we cannot get God to change the way he made the world. You can argue with God all you want. God's not going to go, oh, oops, my bad, I made a mistake. No, you can't tell God, right, to change the world The way he made it, he knows his plan. He knows the way he made it. Verse 11, since there are many things, and some versions say more words, that increase vanity. The idea is, listen, you can keep talking to God all you want about how you don't like the world, and there's a point in time where it's good, but there's also a point in time where he says it's vanity. You know, 
It's a waste of time arguing with God over and over again about stuff that he's not going to change for us. He says, how is man the better from all that arguing? And we're supposed to go, he won't be. He won't be. So here he says, don't, don't bother arguing with God because we always quote him, that great theologian Bruce Hornsby, that's just the way it is. Things are not going to change. God knows what he's doing. And the Bible writer states the obvious in verse 10, you cannot contend with him who is mightier. You can spend all your time, right, arguing with God about how you think the world should be. You, have, you know people like that, right? You know, I'm on the phone with the man upstairs, right? I got his number. I'm like, bro, he's got your number too, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm not looking too good right now. You can argue with him, but you're not going to win that argument. Did you know you're not going to win that argument? Again, not that he's mean. He just wants us to face reality. He wants us to accept the way things are, not just the way we want things to be. If we spend our lives only thinking about the way things we want things to be, we're going to find ourselves wasting a lot of time. Again, I'm not talking about making a goal and shooting for it but constantly obsessing for something that God hasn't given to us. Romans 9.20, the apostle Paul would write a thousand years after Ecclesiastes. He said, But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? I don't know about you, but I read that and I go, I say that to God all the time. (laughs) We're always telling them we don't like the the way things are, right? Or the way we are sometimes. And have, you, have any of you found that to be very satisfying? I haven't. <laughs> you know, I'm always like, God, I don't like the fact that I have a bad back. And, he's like, and I'm not finding it satisfying, constantly reminding him of that. Our culture says you have to be what? Rich and famous. Rich and famous. That's sort of the big thing in our culture. Back then, old and a lot of kids. So you got to be rich and famous. So, What do you think about the American value system? God sends his son, and he says, I want you to go live in Nazareth, a carpenter, poor. And what about famous? You say, well, Jesus is very famous. Actually, if you read the New Testament carefully, every time they tried to make him famous, he went in the other direction. Every time they tried to make him king, he said, no, no, that's not not what I'm here for. You see, because Jesus Christ was, he was content walking through life in the presence of his heavenly Father. He was content walking through life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we talk to our, our friends and family members, and this could even be you. You ask people why they're going to go to heaven. And they'll say, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a, I'm a good person. Now, of course, I'll always contend we don't even know what good is until we look at Jesus, but let's even just back off from that for a second. Just think of Jesus on the cross and think of Jesus rising from the dead. So here you have a poor carpenter who didn't want to be king. What is he teaching us? That salvation is not found in success. Salvation is not found in having everything that this world says that you have to have. Salvation is found in putting your trust in God. When even the king of the universe, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross, says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Verse 12, the writer says, For who knows what is good for man in life all the days of his vain life. That's really encouraging, isn't it? 
Another version says this, for who knows what is good for a man in life in all the meaningless days of his futile life. (laughs) Which he passes like a shadow. So who knows what's good? Do you know who knows what's good for us? Now, I'm not asking if you know who knows. I'm asking if you know the one who knows. If you purposely know him. That's it for today with pastor and Bible teacher Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. We hope and pray that Pastor Jim's simple and passionate verse-by-verse, line-by-line teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes is bringing growth to your Christian faith. Now that you have heard from us, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know how we can pray for you, answer any questions that you may have, and let us know how Changed by Love has helped you. Perhaps you want someone to explain to you how to have your sins forgiven, how you can go to heaven, and how you can get started or restarted in your faith. Maybe you're looking for a good Bible-teaching church in your area, or maybe you just need someone to talk to. Remember, friends, we are here to serve you and to help you, so that someday the Lord will use you to serve and help others. That's the way the kingdom of God works, and we're thrilled to participate with you in the adventure. There are many ways to connect with Pastor Jim and the team here at Changed by Love. All of our contact information is available on our website, www.changedbyloveradio.com. Once again, that's www.changedbyloveradio.com. Maybe you would like to bless us and write us a card or a letter. Our mailing address is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Once again, that's Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Please join us next time on this same station. Until then, stay close to Jesus, and we know that you too will be changed by His love.